0: We're here on the Run Beyond Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, J- Jason Brooks. And in this episode, we're talking to Michael Fotage, a member of the Run Beyond Athlete community. This podcast episode is brought to you thanks to the generous support of those in the Run Beyond Athlete community. We create content like this episode and many more conversations with athletes in the community and people outside of the community. We hope you enjoy this. If you want to learn more about the Run Beyond Athlete community and what we do there, you can visit our website, www.therunbeyondexperience.com. I'm here with Michael Fotage from the Run Beyond Athlete community. Michael, what's going on?
1: Hey, Jason. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Glad to have you. Yeah. So you're in Austin, where I'm in Austin, and we met through Jay Clayberg, who the community here has met. We did a podcast with him several months back. And uh, we actually did two because on the first day the audio crashed and we had to <laughs> record the whole thing the next day. But luckily for all of us, we have flexible schedules. Um, and you've been training with us now since the summer. You signed up shortly after the Leadville 50-miler, which would have been, uh, I want to say, at the end of July or the beginning of August? Yeah, it was mid-July. Around there? Yeah, mid-July. Okay, yeah. yeah. It was the same time we had the Run Beyond. Um community retreat out in BV, and so we were able we wanted to come cheer jay on and uh that was fun so yeah
1: I mean, it, was, it was really cool to see that and and i walked away from that race uh being like man i want to come to one of these retreats where do i start to learn more
0: yeah you found it you found your way <laughs> so you'll have a chance summer is is getting closer <laughs> every day that'll be nice So you recently raced Skyland, which was your big training focus for the past few months in the program, uh, as a lot of the community members, and we'll talk a little bit about your race and how that went, what your takeaways were, your next training for the Big Bend 50 miler. So hopefully we get a chance to kind of chat about that a little. And then um, you're also a chef and a restaurant owner here in Austin. And so that will give us some fun things to talk about. But I first want to know how you got into running.
1: Oh, man. Um, so I've been, I'm like one of those people who was an uh, an athlete uh, growing up um, who was drawn to team sports um, and had uh, most of my success in my uh, academic career, high school and things like that in on team sports. Um And so for like my early 20s and stuff, I I was like, I need to be exercising in some kind of formal fashion. Uh, I was not, uh, didn't really consider myself uh, a runner. Uh, And somewhere in my late 20s, um, I'm 41 now, uh, somewhere in my late 20s, I found running, I was living in Dallas, um, and I just dove headfirst into it and uh, promptly uh, landed my first case of runner's knee um, in, a, in the course of about three or four months. Um, and from there, uh, really fell in love with running. Kind of f- uh, was in and out of the sport a lot, um, kind of losing motivation, keep you know gaining motivation, um, and. Found myself kind of as I got into my uh, kind of uh, early '30s, was uh, found myself back in running. Um, I was living in New York and LA, um, and a lot of road running um, was how I managed to kind of find some space and clarity for myself. Um, and then I moved here from lot uh, to Austin from from Los Angeles and. Um, opened a restaurant and for about six years um, didn't really make the space uh, for myself to to take care of myself in a lot of the ways that that I need to um, and this pandemic as it's done for uh, a lot of folks uh, it's given me the opportunity to reassert um, who I am personally who I am professionally what what my organization or I guess more galvanize what our organization stands for and also really um, focus on what goals we have for ourselves and our team, uh, as a unit. So yeah, that's how, that's the running thing for me. It's like, now it's all about my release and, and, uh, you know, also making some really great friends.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You have a good community that you run with here in Austin, good group of guys and, so how did you make the transition then from road running to trail running? It seems like it just overnight, you're like, hey, I'm decide that after the last six years now I'm taking care of myself, i want to start running again, and it'll be trail running and not just trail running, but I'm going to become an ultra runner. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, I,
1: I'm a, like, I'm a serial wannabe in this sport. Like, <laughs> I have wanted this for years, um, and I didn't. Uh, For whatever reason, um, trail running seemed to me – like, it uh, it seemed less accessible to me. Uh, Whether or not I think that's accurate in reality, um, it it appeared that way for me. It was always easy for me to sign up for races in Los Angeles and places like that because these road races are big events and there seems to be some momentum around them. And and also, too, I wasn't really – scheduling my life around these types of events. I would just go run a race cause it was that weekend and I, and it was fun. Um, yeah. now I find myself in a different position where I've been wanting to do it for years. Um, I actually, um, took a trip to France in, uh, 19. Um, and I was, I was training for New York, uh, marathon that year and I ran a trail system and, in Angers, France, um, Angers, France, and it was, one, it was truly the most beautiful kind of run I'd ever had. And I had been considering getting into the green belt here in Austin, um, kind of around that. So when I came back, I thought, okay, I'm going to go into the green belt. I went by myself. Um, I ended up in the flats, and I fell down. It was November. It was mossy and wet as all hell, and I ended up falling down. Um, as well, I was still really tired from my trip and I was like, what am I doing here? I got, (laughs) I got no idea where I am. So, uh, so I, I, you know, I put it on the back burner for a while, was running. Um, and then Jay, who we talked about earlier, um, I started falling on Strava and seeing his runs and recognized that I had a friend who was, had access to these types of things that I've been wanting to do for years. And so. I started harassing him, um, and then the next thing I know, we're in the green belt three, four days a week. Awesome, yeah, it is. It's totally awesome. I am hooked. I have. It's like when you you have this thing that you think you're gonna love, and then it starts to happen for you, and and it's all ringing true, and it's all the love is real, is an, an incredible experience, um, and I'm really enjoying it.
0: That's great to hear. And do you find it accessible enough now that you'll go out to it on your own? Oh,
1: yeah. Now, like, now, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about it this morning. I, I popped down on a run in the Greenbelt by myself this morning. And I, and I went in where I went a couple of years ago and actually ended up traversing across where I had fallen down and was laughing to myself about how I didn't know where I was before. Now I did. And actually today I, I, I bushwhacked a little bit. I I managed to stay inside the green belt uh, on that north side or south side of the Barton Springs pool. Um, And so I was like, not only did I run an area where I previously failed, but also I bushwhacked a new little route for myself to stay inside, which was pretty cool.
0: Nice. Do you do you live in the Barton Hills neighborhood over there? Is that why you guys always run on the yep, so south side of the pool? I live in okay. Barton
1: Hills, uh, and so that that access at St. Mark's Church is like primo for me.
0: Okay, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, you just don't get much. Yeah, that's vert a fun there.
0: area to bushwhack around too.
1: Yeah, it's just not much up and down. So we'll just we'll head over to uh, Violet Crown or Hill of Life for that stuff. Yeah, that's
0: awesome. Okay, so. You so then Skyland was your first ultra, your first 50k, and you've got designs this January to take it up to the 50 miler. You ultimately DNF'd at Skyland, and so we should just go ahead and talk about what your takeaways were from that and uh, and how you're kind of incorporating them, if at all, in your training or your thinking as you get ready for the Big Bend.
1: Oh man, my takeaways from Sky Island. Uh, so many question marks about my experience there. Uh, yeah, I was, I had, uh, I guess, let me back up. Uh, yeah, my time at, at, at Sky Island um, was very, was honestly pretty surprising for me. I walked away with a lot of questions. Um, I had a, I had a wonderful time i felt as though i knew the course having had run about 10 miles on that course uh in march uh and felt and trained up with a, with a bunch of i mean trained trained with jay who ended up getting 16th place uh in the same race um and so i felt i felt pretty confident headed in, heading in that that i was going to have uh at at the very least not dnf um but uh, after kind of thinking about what happened and thinking about my experience and, and where I was in my training and you know, giving myself a little bit of grace around uh, kind of my level, my true level of experience within this sport, which is very little, um, I kind of have decided that I'm gonna to try to fail upwards. <laughs> <laughs> and run, yeah, and run 50 miles at big ben
0: <laughs> well i'm sure at the time it seemed to like a logical progression
1: it did yeah when i signed you know when i i, I put sky island on the calendar as as uh as an intention to get ready for big ben I, I was not uh maybe thoughtful enough or aware enough as i should have been to understand that that race is, um, much more challenging than, um, I think I had anticipated my, my walkways, I mean, I'm already, um, have turned up the vert a lot. Um, I think that's, you know, after looking at everything and thinking about it for a lot, a long time, um, I think the vert's what got me. Um, and so I've, I've just been actively, uh, I, I, I will be the Strava local legend on Wilkie. Um, until until <laughs> the end of the year, period.
0: There you go. Get get Dell in there too. There's a whole lot of. Well, so we did the bomb run workout a while back. You might remember. Came up in the program here. I will send you the route we, the Barton Hills version of that route. Ten ten miles of Crusher Soul Hills through. Please Barton Hills. Please, <laughs> I want it. That'll that'll be good for you. And then the wilderness park obviously will be your friend. Um, you know, Skyland, the climbs are a little bit more sustained than what you get around here, but I th- I think you still can get in a couple thousand to three thousand feet in. I want to say twelve to twenty miles using the Barton Creek Wilderness Park to your advantage, and and you know, for you, you can run out there on your long run, hit as much vert as you can and then come back. Have you been studying the elevation profile for the Big Bend 50?
1: I have looked at it. I have looked at it some. um, And what what I've seen so far is that over the course of of the 50, uh, the incline's about the same uh, volume, overall volume as the incline at Sky Island.
0: Okay. And what is the What do they say that, or what is the elevation there? Uh, I think it's probably comparable to the data. Yeah, I think it's right there. It might be
1: just a little less, but not a ton.
0: Okay. So then that should serve you well, you know, doing doing what you can here in Austin between, you know, we have the advantage of some big hills here between Northwest Hills and Barton Hills and some parts of Westlake and... The scenic waterfront through West Austin, um, and then the trails too provide, especially in certain areas, good relief. Okay, so get stronger for climbing. What else?
1: Uh, get stronger for climbing, and I, I think continue to just um, bring these long runs. The stuff that I'm reading says, uh, make sure that you. If, don't miss long runs um, is kind of what I've read and understand. and um, it's fortunate for me because that's the uh, that's the those are the activities I enjoy the most. <laughs> so yeah. So uh, I feel really good um, with that. And, and and I think consistency. Um, I really want to continue to make this a part of my daily routine. Um, I do, I, it's nice. I, I find myself in a place where if I don't, um, get out anymore, I do have a level of kind of, uh, lethargy, um, this kind of, um, fogginess, it feels like for me, um, on days that I don't get out. And so, um, uh, not only now does it feel like if I'm not running, I'm, I'm struggling to release my stress, but also too now I feel like it's helping me with uh, various motivations in my life uh, in all kinds of ways.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the healthiest perspective I've found is to see fitness as a lifestyle. And that is a lot of things. Like it allows you to figure out how to embed it in the routine things you're doing on a daily basis, right? Like the kids need exercise. I could share that with them somehow. It could be time I spend with my partner. It could be something I do for business conversations or whatever, right? I do it when I travel. It's everywhere. The expectations are there for everybody around me that that's part of the lifestyle and something that we'll always be doing. Um, But it also allows you to keep up with the consistency and consistency in the long run or the most important, the foundational, the key building blocks for endurance in the long term. Um, and, and so, you know, every everyone has a purpose and the long run, the purpose is really to build the infrastructure that you need for the long endurance for the, it, it's for the long run, but you're building the tendon, muscular bone density, uh, mitochondrial density, uh, capillary infrastructure so that your body will break down less soon the farther you run, right? And you keep, it's an incremental approach, right? So like the more you keep with the long run, the farther you can run. Um, So don't miss your long runs and stay consistent and by embedding fitness into your lifestyle, it becomes a little bit easier to keep up with all of that.
1: Yeah. It's been really nice to be more consistent and, and find a group of folks that, that helped me do that. Yeah. As a trail running beginner, um, I feel like I, it's the learning curve for me to understand how long it takes to build disability, um, is, it's honestly pretty surprising and shocking and, um, not a, for me personally, not a, it doesn't slow me down as far as motivation, but, um, as someone who, uh, is, generally been impatient about results in my professional life and been somewhat successful at achieving them at a a pretty rapid pace. Um, My body not doing what I want it to do uh, at the same rate or expectation uh, can be uh, it's causing me to consider um, how to be more patient with myself, How to allow myself um, the time I need to heal. I think that's uh, really hard for me. I think I just, uh, when I see a challenge, I just wanna push through it harder. And what I'm learning about this sport is that that's not a reality, Um, that it's a lot more um, holistic than just, I'm gonna pound through these runs and my body will be stronger for it. Um, And I would say that, you know, I, I didn't really. I experienced um when I was training for New York in 2019, um, I basically ran myself into injury um, where um, my piriformis got too tight. Um I lost feeling in my big toe. Um and it was because I was, you know, working 16 hours a day on my feet as a chef, and then I would wake up at Four thirty or five o'clock in the morning, and I would go run another fifteen miles, Um, and eventually my body just said, "You're an idiot, and I'm I'm not going to do that anymore." (laughs) And
0: as it tends to do, yeah,
1: you know, that's a really uh, it's a really frustrating place to be because all of a sudden you find yourself losing all of the momentum that you built for yourself and all of this hard work and sacrifice. You know, I mean, I think that um, one of the things about Uh, this sport um, is the time commitment. Um, My friend Robbie Ballinger and I were talking about it and he pointed it out to me not long ago. He said, he said, yeah, running's like the only sport that the better you get at it, the longer it takes you. Yeah. You know, it's so like, you know, I recognize like now my family, I have two small children and uh, and you know, uh, my wife uh, and kids have to, um, enable me um, to to enjoy the sport. They have to provide the infrastructure uh, or that allows me to do it, and I'm so grateful for that. But that is um, on their behalf a sacrifice. And so, yeah, to find yourself injured um, or to find yourself DNFing or any of those things, you know, it, it's going to cause you to think about those commitments. And and I always want to try to honor them and be grateful and and achieve, um, in order. And and I guess achievement a lot of times equals out to honor. Um, but maybe, maybe the new me understands that that achievement isn't the metric or I guess, you know, succeeding at the goal, isn't the metric that enables me to see myself as successful or not. Um, I perceive my sky Island adventure as incredibly successful. Um, A, I had a great trip with my family and, and friends and B, um, I got to see a beautiful place and C, like, you know, I was honestly, I was in a pretty rough spot, uh, at about, um, you know, kind of towards the late stages of the race. Um, and when, when it was offered to me at that aid station at the top of, uh, the primitive loop that I could be extracted, um, there was no, there was no piece of me that was going to be pulled off of that mountain. I was going to walk myself off. Um, and so, you know, I find that to be, uh, the thing when I look back on, uh, that I do view as a success and, and, and a building block to, to push me to the next, uh, the next challenge and adventure. And, you know, I, I don't know what to expect at Big Ben, but, um, I'm going to try to be a little slower and try to be a little smarter and drink more water and take the things that I've learned at, uh, these other trail races. I, I did pernalis over the summer as well and, and learned a lot there too. Um, and so I'm hopeful that, that these really good learning experiences translate to, to maybe the level of achievement that feels appropriate.
0: Yeah. Well, you certainly won't get to that level of achievement without the failings and the learnings, right? And the knowledge of that process. I was listening to William B. Irvine, a philosophy professor here in the U.S. who's into stoicism on the Waking Up app recently, and he was talking about how stoics measure failure and success. And to get at your point, a stoic would look at the, the process or the journey and their commitment to it as the the hinge of success or failure right because the outcomes ultimately are out of your control you don't know what's going to happen it might be a really hot day and and you you just hadn't encountered that environmental context before because you're in need of running and and you have some kind of GI distress or you break an ankle or you get lost or there's this freak storm or whatever, anything could happen, right? All of that is more or less out, outside of your control. And so what you can focus on is the commitment that you make every day to do the things that you know are necessary and the commitment that you make every day to learn what else you need to know. And so you're here in the community, you're training, you're taking in the information that we're putting out and and you're you're running with other people and creating community and learning from them and, and you're doing the work day in and day out. And that really, and then you get out on the day, you know, and you, you give everything that you have and, and no one, myself included, could ask more out of you. And I don't think you'd ask more out of yourself, hopefully, (laughs) if you, if you are, it's maybe a questionable expectation.
1: No, yeah, I think, uh, I think that that's like a part of maturity. Like, I don't know that I would have been able to sustain my uh, interest in trail running in my late twenties, um, like I have, because I'm not as mature as I was then, and and I am able to kind of wrap my brain around these concepts of um, that that the that the adventure is really the judge, you know, the things that we base our thoughts on, rather than what the final outcome is. And, yeah, I feel like I'm learning, you know, it feels like stoicism was kind of maligned for for a few years. And I find myself in this era being told by people around me that that there are many stoic qualities to the nature of how of how we and myself and, and my organization roll. So um, I'm going to lean into it some more and, and and I need to do some more reading myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they say, I, th- I think a lot of it seems to be a natural inclination. We, we often fail to stop and think, oh, there's this thing that I do on a regular basis or a way I perceive the world or I analyze problems and I should give it a definition or some structure or rigor or something like that, you know? And I guess that's really the work of, of like philosophers, but helping, I think it helps sometimes just to know, oh, okay, I, I am on the right, path i think probably in the way that i think about our self problems um that's good i have enjoyed it it's helped give me a little bit more structure to thinking about things you know for a long time i just lived by the core values of the marine corps but eventually like i'm not a marine anymore (laughs) and i need to figure out my own set of core values um and When you have that value framework, it gives you something to live by, I find, where if you are trying to make a decision about something or you're confronted with a problem to reference your decision making process off of some kind of values that ground you, that's really powerful. Right. And so in that way, what William Irvine says about stoicism as a philosophy of life, I found I find really compelling. And maybe you don't adopt all of their core values, you know, and you find some that for you are more important, like maybe autonomy in your career is like super valuable. And if that means you live in Austin for another 20 years, then that's what your situation is. Um, I've talked too much. So, Michael, how, how did you become a chef? How did, was that a lifelong dream? Did you always want to cook? Did you fall into it later in life?
1: Yeah, I um I this is, you know, me being a chef or me being a cook. Uh, I, this kind of goes back to a couple of roots that uh, have always been a part of, of my success. Um, so I actually was uh, I never finished my undergrad? Um, I was fortunate enough to land a job at the Texas Rangers baseball team uh, in the early 2000s, and I worked in the front office there for a couple years um, and decided that I wanted to move to Austin. I had been living in Boulder, Colorado, previous to that, um, and Austin felt like the right kind of place for me. I recognized that my career uh, in professional sports. Um, may not be what I truly wanted. Um, and so I came to Austin and I have a friend here uh, who was general managing a restaurant. Um, and I always have cooked my entire life. I always cooked uh, as a f- my family. Food has always been a big part of our uh, gatherings, um, our travel. We always rated a vacation on how good we felt the food was on that trip. Um, and so it was always a thing for me. Um, and I was cooking for friends and inviting people over all the time. And this friend of mine who is the general manager said, you know, I think you should come try cooking professionally. And it took him a couple months to get me there. Um, and I finally showed up. Uh, and one night I brought, you know, my knife from my house, uh, like the whooshed off, you know, wooden thing that, that somebody gave me along the way. And, um, I showed up with it. And within about two hours, uh, I recognized that this is probably what I was going to do for the rest of my career. Um, it, it, all at once, it hit me that here we are again in a setting that is, um, a team setting. Um, everyone has to work together. There's a good amount of physical exertion Um, in order to accomplish this work. Um, And as well, there's uh, a lot of intensity. Um, And I am someone who tends to be uh, a little bit more measured. I have never been like a super quick-witted person, but I have always done well in high-intensity situations. Um, And so um, I I have an ability to be calm, um when I when I really try (laughs) and so um and so it really suited me it was and literally um I went there that night for free I told the chef that I wanted to come back the next day um he said okay um and then I came back the next day and at the end of that day I said I want to come back uh as many times as you'll let me um and so, yeah, I started working there for free, uh, as you did in the culinary field um, many times. And um, I worked there for, I think it was about six weeks uh, for free. And one day they put me on the schedule and there was no one else working as, alongside me. And so I went to the owners and said, okay, now I think you need to start paying me. <laughs> <laughs> and from there, uh, I. I uh, moved to uh, Dallas. I worked at a restaurant in Dallas called Abacus, um, which was in the two, early 2000s, was a, a very popular restaurant up there. Um, and then from there to Napa Valley for culinary school and from Napa Valley to New York. Um, I was fortunate enough to work at uh, one of the greatest restaurants in the country called Per Se, um, which is a three Michelin star joint by Tom's Keller. Um, and... Then I I finished my degree back in California, moved back to New York, and um, ended up working for my mentor, who also was the chef at Per Se, Um, had moved on to open his own restaurant. His name is Jonathan Benno. Um, He has a restaurant in New York now called Benno, Um, and I worked for him for for a couple years um, and then moved to Los Angeles, all with the intention of coming back to Austin to open my own thing. But at the time, when I started my career here in Austin, there was not the type of food movement that there is now. And, and I, re- I recognized pretty early on that I wanted to go get some training. Um, and so I touched both coasts, and here I am.
0: All right. And now Austin's on the level?
1: Yeah, I think Austin is uh, very much on the level. Um, it's interesting. As you... I think in every career, I think as you gain experience, your perspective changes, and and mm-hmm. the values that you have change. And I think that the values that I had when I opened Olame um, are are very different from the values that I had uh, that I have now. Um, and the focus, the things that we focus on, um, I think that the results are likely pretty similar. Um, I, we continue to be among the best restaurants in the city. Um, I, my expectation is that we will always be, uh, considered among the top three or four restaurants in the city. Um, but the manner in which we arrive at those goals, um, are very different. Uh, we are, um, when, when I opened Olame, it was very hard charging. Um, it was very intense. Uh, I was my mentor, um, I think is different now, but was known uh, as a yeller. Um, and so I yelled some, uh, I yelled at people while they were working um, and I'm not proud of it. Um, and I think that uh, the era of everybody um, kind of fetishizing this like yelling chef and the Gordon Ramsay bullshit um, was really unhealthy um, for, for most of us who work within the field. Um, and so over the course of the last seven years, I discovered my, uh, how my strategy and, and, and who I am as a, as a leader. And, and, um, it's, it's evolved, uh, in a, in a really interesting way to me, at least like, you know, I yelled and then I said, I'm not going to yell anymore. Actually, I yelled. And then I said, I'm only going to yell when it's real. so that you know, I'm really upset. And then I was like, well, that's not very smart either. I'm not going to yell anymore. I'm just going to do disappointed dad. Um, And for a while there, disappointed dad was like a really good technique, I thought. And it got me places. And then I recognized like, whoa, 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 whoa. What if we can just avoid the whole problem? So now it's I try to set clear expectations and guidelines so that we avoid the opportunity for me to even have to get to disappointed dad. Um, yeah. And that's a much more mature and evolved perspective that, that I've had to work pretty hard for. Um, but it's really uh, suiting my organization well. Um, we're incredibly diverse. We have leadership um, from all kinds of backgrounds now. And um, I truly believe that we're a healthy place to work.
0: Do you Do you feel like or have you seen that you get more out of your employees have healthier relationships with your employees that, that there's a more productive and and kind of like safer environment for everybody to be a part of. Has it, do you feel like it's good for everyone?
1: Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And, and the way that I arrived at that, I think is really um, important. Um, my wife and I were in couples counseling and um, I've, I'm a huge proponent of, uh, talk therapy. I've been seeing folks f- for almost my entire life. Um, I would recommend it to anybody who has the opportunity to do it. Um, so my wife and I were in a session and we were discussing um, the impact of an argument, um, the, imp- yeah. the impact of an emotional outburst um, yeah. and, and what that timeline is like and, um, And I was able to extrapolate that out to my workplace and say, holy shit, if I yell at somebody, the amount of time that it's going to take us to get back to stasis is much longer than what is congruent or conducive to us accomplishing our goals together. So me yelling at somebody, what I understand now is just as harmful to both of us. Um, yeah. As it is, and and the organization, the organism, organization itself. So, yeah, now it's like, okay, let's try to stay at stasis as often as we, can, as much as we can. Um, and and the way that we do that is by communicating well, and yeah, um, and trying to also provide people the space to um, talk about their challenges and 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 find a space where, you know. It's okay to be intense, but not harmful.
0: I think that is a really healthy leadership approach and organizational culture to create. It made You you made me think early on about um, Yvonne Chouinard, the owner of Patagonia, kind of legendary mountaineer and climber. He has this quote I really like, and uh, it is that, it's not about getting to the top of the mountain that matters, but how you got there, that really counts. Right. And, and that's a great metaphor. I think it's one, it's true in the actual sport of mountaineering, Um, (laughs) depending on how risk averse you are. Uh, But two, you can extract a lot of meaning out of it just in, in like how, You do really everything that is goal or outcome oriented in life. And that if we, um, you know, I push chop wood, carry water all the time and the kind of stoic perspective on goal setting because uh, it can be easy to shortcut when you're overly focused on the outcome and you're like, I just have to achieve this outcome. I'll do anything to achieve this outcome and nothing else matters but if you can understand that the ramifications of of just bowling over everything else that matters to get to the outcome you might make different decisions and so it's important to understand how i approach something is super important it could have an impact in the you know on the relationships that i have with people the the i hate to say it but like the brand i create for myself or kind of like the character and uh Anyway, so it's really awesome to hear you talk about that. And I haven't I haven't got this part of the story, the next evolution of of Olimai and the organizational culture. And so I think it's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. I look forward to November fourth. Yeah,
1: thank you. And it's it's really exciting for me too. And and honestly, like these are these are concepts and ideas that have existed before for us and things that we've been working towards for a number of years. And uh, it's really uh, exciting for us right now to see our industry. A, a lot of folks in our industry, in the hospitality industry, are, are reasserting themselves and and yeah, really focusing on that journey rather than the outcome. Um, or at least, I think uh, being more respectful of the journey in their movement towards their outcome. Um, I think that we, as an industry, have. Uh, bold forward as you said like at all costs many times and, and I think that yeah we're tired of um, top to bottom we're tired of sacrificing our personal lives our health our um, financial well-being and all of those things in order to to keep doing a thing that is not suiting everyone um, so how do we find our pathway to, to healthiness for all the folks involved in every part of it that we touch?
0: Yeah. <clears throat> I, I think, um, Austin it is creating spaces. People like you, um, fill spear with the Commodore run club p- places like pockets of safety for, for like Personal development, mental health awareness. Um, did, is that unique to Austin? Do you see that? Would like you find these kinds of support or cultures in scenes like New York or LA, Chicago? You know, it's interesting.
1: I, I I'm not. I'm not super clear on I, – what I can say is like when I often ask um, folks who work in our field uh, in the event space, so folks who put on like um, events like folks from the uh, Texas Food and Wine Alliance or um, anyone who kind of works with other markets, when I've asked the question of like, hey, is Austin unique? Are we uh, in any way – dissimilar from, from our cohorts around that you work with. And, and what I have heard, uh, in chorus is, uh, that we are more friendly to one another, that our culinary community and our hospitality community, um, is more intertwined in a positive manner than a lot of places. Um, do I know that Austin in general, I, I don't know. I feel that this city is evolving so rapidly that that many of us are curious to know where it's headed. And yeah. And and my perspective right now is like I'm I'm just gonna control the things I can control.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can be you can you can be an example of the future that you wanna see. Right.
1: Yeah, and that's and that's what we're up to. Like you know, what I've been saying, we've, re- we've written an, a new Olame menu for our grand reopening on November 4th. And, you know, what I've been saying to the team to to help us understand what it means is like, what I've always said is we're trying to represent a modern interpretation of classical Southern food, because that's my experience. I grew up going to Tennessee to visit my grandfather. My mother is... Uh, born and raised Tennessee, I was. My mom moved to Texas when she was pregnant with me. So my associations with Southern food were through that, fam, you know, through that family connection, as well as all of this research that I'd done out of historical books. Um, I went to these books because I didn't, I didn't actually grow up there, and so I'm looking for these things to support these feelings that I've had from my childhood. That I'm trying to use as a touchstone to create these these items that go on the menu. Um, And when now I find myself in a different place, what we're, when we reopen, what we intend to do is do a modern uh, representation of modern Southern food. Um, We now have a chef here who is from a different background than me, um, who has access to um, some, how do I say Uh, we have a chef here now who's going to be responsible for the bulk of the culinary creation um, with my support, but she is from a different background and, and her culture is uh, some black culture. And so um, as well as she's highly trained in some cuisines that are currently intertwined through the modern Southern food offering, there's a tremendous amount of Asian food that's moved in through New Orleans and Houston. Um, and so what people's kind of perception of Southern food is needs to evolve, um, because the cuisine itself is evolving. And now instead of having a white male, um, a straight white male, um, trying to be thoughtful about that representation, but still, um, bound by those constrictions. Um, I'm incredibly excited to see where this thing goes now that I'm passing on this creative, uh, license and, and just I'm only going to be there to give high fives and a little bit of feedback.
0: Wow. That's a big, that's a big change. It's a big leap.
1: It is. That's... But like, you know, I find myself like we have been we have been Vanguard, uh and I intend to stay it. And I intend to, you know, it's like you can't help but think of bands a lot of times, right? Like every great band is I mean, Wilco, like let's look at AM, let's look at Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. You know, what I mean, like you got to change, you got to evolve, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're right, for sure. So, so where did that, where's the perspective that that need for innovation is rooted? We hit the pandemic. It was a really tough time for the service industry in Austin and I'm sure around the country. Um, but we were in full lockdown. And Austin and a lot of companies didn't survive. You managed to start a new business, a biscuit shop um, on top of kind of shut Olamay down and re-envision in new organizational culture and menu and team. And so uh, walk us through that just a little bit (laughs) at a high level. I mean, mostly what I care about is, you know, this is... You're, you're showing that, um, the, so the Stoics say the obstacle is the way, right? Like a lot of people could look at the pandemic and think, shit, this is a global catastrophe and my life is just fucked. Yeah. I'm at home with my kids. I can't work. Um, I'm just, I'm just hosed or you could look at it, right. And you could think there is an enormous amount of opportunity in this. I was so excited personally and i don't want to talk too much about myself here but i thought wow like this is gonna fucking shake the world up and i can't wait to see how it plays out and what i get to do and i'm like i'm only like on a forced vacation this is perfect i can't go work. i oh, go boohoo like i get to hang out with my wife and kid all day every day that's a that's a like you think of that as vacation normally and here it is right in in your lap and so you you were able to use this You turned this into an opportunity.
1: Yeah, uh, man, you know, when you like, when you talk about it like that and when, when you lay it all out like that, it's, it feels like an eternity, you know, it feels like so so much has happened since that moment. And, and so many, you know, yeah, I've gotten furious at people for complaining about, they were sick of zoom calls (laughs) because, because we're, you know, uh, running hospitality operations, not really sure if they're going to exist at the end. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think like, man, my, my commitment was to my team. My commitment was to my family. Um, I think those were my primary motivators when all this stuff happened. You know, we wanted to keep people safe. Um, We felt that it was our responsibility to find a pathway that kept people safe, um, and you know, yeah, I, I think that I, I would never be one to just throw in the towel, and, and and I don't think that the type of folks that come to work with me uh, would would you know, they I don't think that they would be drawn to me if that were in if that were in the cards at all. So, you know, I think that I was lucky enough to, um, have the space that I needed to come up with a, a vision for a pathway through for us. And I'm right there with you, uh, Jason, and that like, you know, the pandemic gave me some pretty huge gifts. Um, my, I had a son, uh, in, fe- in February of, uh, 19 and we got to, no, I'm sorry. When was my son <laughs> 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 what year is it, what are we it was probably,
0: probably 20. 20 yeah like right before the yeah pandemic. right before
1: the pandemic and and i got to let's see it's february 20, no, no, no 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 it was it was 19 i'm right my son was born in 19 and okay. and uh and i got to see so he's
0: one year old yeah, basically yeah he's basically one in year old 13 months
1: but yeah he was the reason being he's a late walker our daughter walked a little bit earlier and so i messing up my timeline. But yeah, I got to see my son walk for the first time. Um, I got to be present in those formative years for my kids. Um, I got to spend a huge chunk of it at home um, with them. We were actually in Brady, Texas. Um, I'm lucky enough that my grandfather had a place out there for years. So we went there and um, lived for uh, about four months. And um, I ended up leaving the family out there and coming back to open the biscuit shop. But, you know, I I'll never, uh, lose appreciate appreciation for that time that I got to spend there with them and my in-laws who came out to help us. And, you know, it's just like you said, like there were some vacation aspects to it. Like I got to go bass fishing every dusk, uh, almost like six days a week, um, yeah. at the ranch. And it's like, I mean, that will that there's no reason for that to ever happen. I got to see the wildflower procession of Central Texas from spring into summer, in and in a way that I don't believe I'll ever get to see again. And and I'm eternally grateful for those things. And, and yeah, you know, I think that as far as uh, the business and and that those aspects, like yeah, we didn't, we we are. The silver lining for us is like, yeah, we got a biscuit shop out of it. We're going to open Olamay back up. And and also, too, we feel somewhat Teflon. Um, we feel like we can we're a bit unstoppable. Um, we've survived this thing and and we've done it well. We I mean, we paid health insurance for the entire team that we furloughed for the entire uh, length of the pandemic. We paid every bit of rent that we were uh, agreed to over the course of the pandemic. So um, I feel really strong. Uh, at this moment, um, about to reopen a restaurant that I ran for uh, six years um, with new perspective. um, And that just is like, really empowering.
0: Yeah, I think your experience is a testament to resilience and, and building it in, building it into your mindset, building it into your organizational culture and you know, that that infects the people around you and helps you survive. And <clears throat> well, ha- this is a, it's an inspiring story, I think, Michael, and I appreciate you sharing it with us um, and sharing you know, not not just the Olame story, but in general. I yeah, I think that a lot of us will connect with this story and some of the things that we say here hopefully resonate um,
1: yeah, I no, and and thank you, I, you know, and thanks to the whole Run Beyond community, you know, I have find myself uh, excited to see what everyone's up to, supported, inspired. I have all these new Strava friends, and just this, um, this this group of folks um, in a lot of ways are changing my life, and I'm really grateful for it. And and it's also positive that. I'm excited to be a part of this group for a long time to come.
0: Well, thank, thanks for being a part of it. I, I appreciate it. We all appreciate it. We're rooting for you in Big Bend this January. It's going to be good. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Yeah. I, I, That's all you need to know. One
1: of my, one of my great uh, takeaways from uh, Sky Island is that I, I impressed Jason Schlarb with my ability to puke quietly. <laughs> <laughs> i was just trying to keep my suffer to myself you
0: know (laughs) that's right yeah you don't need to put that out on anyone else exactly (laughs) so that's awesome yeah well hopefully that doesn't come up again (laughs) at least not in january all right michael i'll see you on the trail soon awesome
1: man thank you thank you